Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. All homes have a history, which includes the memories, hopes, and dreams of all who have lived there. But this home in a quiet, upscale neighborhood in suburban New York held something more. In a steel drum stored in a crawl space was a secret that someone had hoped would last a lifetime. September 2nd, 1999, was moving day for the Cohen family in Jericho, New York. Before leaving that day, Ronald Cohen noticed that the sanitation workers hadn't picked up all of his trash. A note on a large steel drum said it wasn't removed because of its weight. Cohen had no idea what was inside since it had been in a crawl space in his home since the day he moved in nine years earlier. When he broke the seal, Cohen was overcome by a terrible stench. Inside, he saw what appeared to be a human hand and a lady's shoe. Local police transported the drum to the Nassau County morgue, where all of its contents were carefully removed for forensic examination. Inside were the mummified remains of a young woman. There were also some plastic pellets, a green plastic flower stem with leaves, and a woman's pocketbook, which was submerged in a mysterious brownish-green liquid at the bottom of the drum. The liquid had virtually destroyed the contents of the pocketbook, which might have identified the victim. The cause of death appeared to be blunt force trauma to the head. What was most noteworthy to the body and the cause of death were that there were 10 different injuries called lacerations to the back and upper part of her head. There were multiple fractures to the skull. In some areas, the skull was broken into small pieces. There also was blood staining to these areas of injuries, indicating that they occurred while she was alive. But who was this murdered woman? The medical examiner determined that the woman was either white or Hispanic between 20 and 30 years of age. She stood approximately five feet tall. She also had some unusual dental work. It didn't appear to be dental work that was performed in the United States. It led me to believe that it was from a South American country. When Dr. Catanese x-rayed the body, he made a shocking discovery. 
a 17-inch fetus, a close-to-full-term baby boy. Three pieces of jewelry were removed from the body, two rings and a locket that was inscribed to Patrice, love, Uncle Phil. The first discovery would come from the barrel itself. There were several coded numbers on the drum. One was as good as a fingerprint. It led to a chemical company in Linden, New Jersey. Company records indicated that the drum was manufactured in 1965. Now, 34 years later, it shows up as someone's makeshift coffin. A 55-gallon steel drum concealed in a crawl space of a suburban New York home revealed shocking evidence of a homicide. The most recent owner said it had been in the crawl space since the day he moved in, in 1990. The owner before that told police the same thing and said it never occurred to him to open the container since there were chemical labels on the side. The woman's purse found in the liquid at the bottom of the drum contained some papers and an address book. The pages were illegible since the liquid had reduced the paper to little more than pulp. They were all sent to a forensic document examiner for analysis. It was so heavily and thickly encrusted with a, a brownish-yellow slime. It was like a jelly-like substance, and it coated everything. And when I touched the evidence with my gloves on, I could see it just came right off of my hands. The items had to be placed in a forensic drying cabinet for several days to draw out the moisture. When dry, they could be examined with a video spectral comparator, or VSC, which combines advanced digital engineering with a full range of infrared light sources in order to visualize writing that is not discernible with the naked eye. This technology can show where alterations have been made on a check with the various light sources. Under an infrared luminescence setting, the different ink will glow Magnification can also detect when official documents have been altered. Two pages of a legal contract appear the same, but under ultraviolet light, it reveals that one of the pages was added later. Indented impressions left behind become visible with oblique or side lighting. Light from behind or transmitted light can show what's written under correction fluid. After the pages from the barrel were dry, the results were disappointing. The liquid had removed the ink from the pages. But after hours of meticulous and delicate work under infrared camera filters, the document examiner started to see some names and addresses in the address book. But the information in the address book was 30 years old, and when investigators dialed the telephone numbers, the individuals had long since moved. Facing an apparent dead end, investigators turned their attention to the family who owned the home in the 1960s, the time frame in which the steel drum had been manufactured. The owner in those years was a man named Howard Elkins, who was now retired and living in Boca Raton, Florida. 
and we have people in the neighborhood who are long-term residents say, yeah, he was involved in some plastics company in Manhattan. The plastic connection rang alarm bells since a plastic leaf and plastic pellets were found in the drum along with the murdered woman. In the 1960s, Howard Elkins was part owner of the Melrose Plastic Company in Manhattan. The company manufactured plastic plants and trees. As investigators made plans to interview Howard Elkins in Florida, the address book from the drum started to reveal more names and more secrets. The pieces of the puzzle were starting to come together in the search for the identity of the murdered pregnant woman found in the metal drum. The serial numbers on the drum led investigators to a chemical company based in New Jersey. I went there with a detective from our lab who has some knowledge of chemicals. Uh, we went there and we showed them the pellets and we showed them the green material, showed them pictures of the barrel. The chemical company identified the green liquid in the bottom of the drum as a dye, a halogen green dye used to color the bases on plastic flowers and trees, but it hadn't been manufactured since 1971. The pellets in the drum were the type used in making plastic leaves and flowers, like the plastic leaf found with the body. The local newspaper coverage of the unidentified woman in the steel drum led to an anonymous telephone call to the Nassau County Police. He tells us about the drum, where it comes from. He tells us that that, that was the chemicals that they used when they were mixing the bases for these uh, artificial trees. So he puts all this together. He puts everything in perspective for us. The caller did not know the identity of the dead woman, but said that Howard Elkins was having an affair in the 1960s with an Hispanic woman who worked for him in his plastic factory. So we now have things to talk to him about other than the fact that there was a barrel found under his house. When police flew to Boca Raton, Florida to speak with Howard Elkins, he wasn't entirely cooperative. Did you ever use this type of a barrel in your business? No, we never had any barrels like that. He lied to us. We knew he was lying to us within five minutes of the interview. I asked him at one point if it... Did you, have, did you ever have an affair while you were working there? And he kind of surprised us, and he said yes. But then we went into, what was her name? I don't know. Can you describe her? It was 30 years ago. I said, you can't even describe her. Was she tall? Was she short? Was she fat? Was she skinny? Was she Spanish? I don't remember. After about 20 minutes of this, uh, I had removed from my briefcase a kit, and I asked them, if he would give me permission for me to take a swab from the inside of his mouth uh, for DNA purposes to see if he, in fact, was the father of that baby. He told us no. He said it, you know, he didn't think he would allow that. The interview was interrupted by a phone call from Elkins' wife. Elkins asked the police to leave, saying he wanted to speak with her privately. And I stood up and I stood right in front of him and I said, we're going to leave now, Mr. Elkins. I'm going to get a court order. I'm going to come back with that court order. And I'm going to take your blood. 
and I'm going to match your blood up to the dead baby and that dead girl, and I'm going to come back here and arrest you for murder and put you in jail for the rest of your life. He nodded his head, and he opened the door and asked us to leave. As police left to get the court order, Howard Elkins left to go shopping. He purchased a shotgun and some ammunition. Howard Elkins was found inside a neighbor's garage by police and his own son. A shotgun between his legs, a fatal self-inflicted wound to his head. The 70-year-old retired plastics executive left no final note of explanation. After his suicide, investigators took a sample of Howard Elkins' blood and sent it to LabCorp, a North Carolina DNA testing facility. When we're testing for paternity, we look for shared DNA bands between the child or the fetus and the alleged father. In the case of the fetus found in the drum, there were obstacles to overcome. The tissue samples from the fetus were very badly degraded after 30 years. A technique called polymerase chain reaction, or PCR, allowed scientists to amplify the existing DNA, making an analysis possible. This is the DNA banding pattern from the fetus. This is the DNA banding pattern from Mr. Elkins. At every region of the DNA that we tested, the fetus and Mr. Elkins have a band in common. Mr. Elkins could not be excluded with a 99.93% probability of paternity. Although the crime was solved, one mystery remained, the identity of the woman in the drum. The small address book that had been submerged in the green liquid in the bottom of the drum was finally starting to tell a story. Thirty-year-old secrets on blank pages that were now readable with the latest in forensic technology. I kept looking through the book, and on this page, on the second line, I found the name Mr. Elkins and the address in Manhattan with a phone number. On another page... Barely readable were the words Residencia Nombre, a resident alien number, and the address and telephone number of someone named Kathy Andrade. Investigators were surprised to learn that after 30 years, she was still living in the same apartment with the same telephone number. Kathy Andrade knew immediately the identity of the pregnant young woman in the drum, she was a student in her English class, Reina Angelica Marroquin from El Salvador. This lady almost immediately went to tears. She told us that she knew Angelica American, that she was the, one of the more lovely people that she ever knew, and that she disappeared 30 years ago. Kathy Andrade never knew what happened to her friend, Reina Marroquin, although she feared she had met with foul play. And I was in shock, and I said, oh, my God. You know, it's hard to believe that these things can happen. Raina Marikin came to the United States in 1966 and lived here in a modest room in a Catholic home for single women. 
she attended classes at the high school of fashion industry and got a job at the Melrose Plastic Company making artificial flowers. She had a beautiful personality. She always talked about her family, and she was in touch with the family, how much she loved New York. And her dream was to become an American citizen. Shortly before she disappeared, Raina told Kathy that she was pregnant, but she did not tell her who the father was. Is he going to marry you? She said, eventually he will marry me. I never asked who because she never said who he was. But Raina told Kathy that her boyfriend was married with three other children. And Raina was beginning to question whether he had any intention of leaving his wife and children to marry her. So she got very angry. She called the house. And who answered the phone was his wife. And she told his wife that she was expecting a baby from her husband. Then he called her back and he says, I am going to kill you. I will never forgive you. She was crying. She was terrified. She said, he's going to kill me. He's going to kill me. I said, why do you? She says, I don't know. I don't know. I just made a stupid mistake. When Kathy Andrade went to Reina's apartment, she found the door unlocked, but there was no sign of Reina. And I waited for about three hours. When nobody returned, the phone never rang or anything. I got scared. I walked into the police station and I spoke to the officer. And he says, are you a relative of the young lady? I said, no, I'm only a friend. And I said, but she's pregnant, she's about to have a baby. Oh, she said, you know, she probably went shopping. And since Kathy Andrade didn't know the identity of Reina's lover, there was little more she could tell police. About Reina, honestly, I feel sorry because there was a future for her. You know, she paid very dear for that mistake. Mr. Elkins! Investigators believe that Howard Elkins lured Raina to the factory one night shortly after she told Elkins' wife about their affair, and Elkins beat her to death. He then took the body to his suburban Long Island home, probably with the intention of dumping her into the ocean from his boat. He placed the body into a steel drum from work. To make sure it would sink to the bottom of the ocean, he weighted it with plastic pellets. He miscalculated the weight of the drum after he sealed it. At 350 pounds, it was much too heavy to carry onto his boat. His only alternative was to push it into a crawl space in his home, and there it remained undisturbed through numerous owners for 34 years. And if trash collectors hadn't refused to pick up the drum, the secret of Howard Elkins and Reina Angelica Marroquin might never have been discovered. Oscar Corral covered the story for Newsday. He flew down to El Salvador to try to find Reina's family. In San Martin, a small village outside of San Salvador, he found Reina Marroquin's 95-year-old mother. She came out to the front of the house where there's a porch. And I said to her, I'm a reporter from Newsday in New York. I told her that police had discovered a, a woman who had been murdered 30 years ago. And when she saw her daughter's picture, she 
almost fainted. She had to lean on somebody who was carrying her. Her face fell. She immediately began to weep. It had been 30 years that this woman waited for an answer. She told me she had dreams about her daughter for 30 years. She told me she had a dream even that her daughter was in a barrel that haunted her for so long. Reina Marroquin left El Salvador because she discovered her husband had a lover who was pregnant with her husband's child. When she fled to New York City, Reina found herself in the same situation, although this time she was the pregnant other woman in a love triangle that had disastrous consequences. So she was on both sides of the fence in this case. And in the end, it cost her her life. Investigators found one last message on a blank piece of paper found in the drum alongside Raina Marikine and her unborn child. A message possibly from Raina herself to Howard Elkins. It said, don't be mad. I told the truth. 